following is a Podcast 225 production. The Movers. The Movers. The Shakers. The Shakers. The People. The People. If it matters to the capital city, the region, and beyond, you'll hear it here. This. This. This is the Clay Young Show. It is so good to be back with the audio podcast here at podcast225.com. And I've got two of my really good friends here with me, Darren DeQuano, Rick Porsche from WAFB-TV, who have put together this documentary that's going to air this Sunday, December 3rd, as you're listening to this now, on WAFB at 1030. First up, gentlemen, it's good to have you all here. Man, it's great to be here. Thank you for having us, Clay. Look, I want to... I want to play some audio that Rick sent me uh, about this, and it deals with, if I can find it here, uh, it deals with, I'll just get you to talk about it after we play this. It's rape. From 10 to 15 sex acts per day. It's abuse. It was everything that I wasn't looking at that was right underneath my nose. You have 15-year-old girls that have been raped 3,000 times. And this is in Louisiana. Human trafficking is a $150 billion industry. It is buying and selling human beings. It's a crime against humanity. And it is slavery. Brother, that is pretty bone-chilling. And it's going to air this Sunday we're going to call Father Jeff in just a moment to have him join us. And, and as we record this show, Father Jeff is in Rome right now. So it's early where he is, but he's he's being a champ. Where did this start? Uh, this started with a conversation with Father Jeff. Okay. Um, a friend of mine who used to work at the station called and said, hey, I work with Father Jeff on a television show. We want to try to raise some awareness about Metanoia Manor. Metanoia Manor is something that Father Jeff started back in 2018, I believe it was, to... Uh, it's a refuge, a shelter for uh, female victims of human trafficking. Okay. Um, and it costs about $800,000 a year, I think he said, to, to run, the, run the place. He was hoping to raise a little awareness and raise a little money. I talked with Father Jeff. He gave me a few facts that we'll talk about as this thing goes on. And I realized that this is a story bigger than Metanoia Manor. It's a story bigger than watching someone arrested because that's when that's when news gets involved yeah if someone is arrested for sex trafficking because there are no victims victims don't want to talk so uh i was like father this is really what you're telling me is really uh hard to hear it's really hard to comprehend but it's bigger than metanoia manor and i want to do something bigger went to my managers they said okay Go do some research, bring it back to us. Let's see what we can do with it. I took a couple of weeks to uh, hash some things out. Excuse me, talk to some people, brought it back to my managers, and they said, yeah, we got to do this. And, I mean, kudos to my managers for for doing this because this took Darren and I out of the mix for a lot of days of uh, covering regular news. How many days? Oh, geez. We've been working on this for a year. Wow. Not, Not every day. Yeah. Not every day. But if you... Put all that time together. What do you say, D? Uh, it's hard to say because we'll be in the middle of editing or doing something, and uh, we got a shooting down here. We got to, and we just got to get up and go. Yeah. So your mind is not completely on it at all times, but you know, 
and we worked closely with this the whole time. Yeah. I know Rick's Rick would come to me some mornings like, man, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning thinking of this, this and that. And he's, and I can't give enough credit to Rick and he's put his whole everything into this project. Man, this is so different. You both have been journalists for a number of years and you've, you've done everything from filming things with politics. And obviously we've had a lot of tragedy here in the city and in this last decade, but this is so different though. Well, it, it's different for me because I'm the feature guy. Yeah. I'm the guy that goes and does the stories about the squirrels wearing funny hats right. and, and things like that. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, but when father Jeff told me this, it was, I got to do something about this. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta change what I'm doing, change the way I'm thinking. And I've got, I, I cannot ignore this. I've got to do it. Now, look, Rick's done this for 35 years, and mm-hmm. I don't want to embarrass you here, Rick, but we're interviewing Dana Hunter, and she says something, and then it's kind of quiet because I'm behind the camera, and he's doing an interview. Rick's over there crying at what she just said. He's seen everything right. in the city, you know, and for that to do that to him. Well, some of the stories you told me sitting in the conference room at Channel 9 you know, it was jarring and we're going to get into some of the detail about that when father Jeff is on, but this is one of those things that people don't openly talk about and it makes people squeamish to even hear others talking about how did y'all overcome that? Man. Uh, the first interview we did was with Sherry Combs. Yeah. She is a survivor of human trafficking. Right. Uh, she was trafficked uh, when she turned about 17. She ran away from home and met a guy, thought the guy was nice, was going to take care of her. Within about 30, 45 minutes, she was being sold for sex. And she had a, a tough upbringing. Yeah. Father was abusive, sexually abusive, physically abusive. And, you know, a lot of this is troubled kids when they're mm-hmm. small right and that just leads to it those are the most vulnerable when you don't have a good home life it's you're a target the hardest thing for me for that interview was to start that interview how do you ask a person whose dignity has been sold mm-hmm. whose body has been sold who has been raped because that's what this is yeah this is rape. these women these these girls most of them are girls yeah most of them aren't even Adults. Yeah. They are sold against their will for sex multiple times a night for months, sometimes years. How do you begin to ask somebody to share that story? Uh, the, the bravery of the two women mm-hmm. in this documentary who shared their stories with us is, is beyond me. I don't, know, I don't know how they do it. Sherry's done interviews before. She right. was yeah. sort of a veteran, so to speak. Veronica, yeah, she, right. on the other hand, yeah. she Veronica was, Jones is, is amazing. Speaking of Sherry, here's a cut of Sherry that Rick sent. I was just turning 17, and the idea that somebody wanted to pay to have sex with me was disgusting. It was gross. And afterwards, it was like conditioning. It was like, you know, it's okay. It's all right. It's, you can do this. Like, this happens all the time. Lots of girls do this. And then wanting to leave, that's when the aggression comes out, right? That's when, no, you're going to do this, you know, and you're not going to leave the motel room, and, and this is what's going to happen. I can't imagine for both of you 
how hard it was to hear them tell those stories. And when they were telling the stories, did it look like they were reliving it? And Sherry's told her story a lot. Okay. She works now with, um, with trafficked uh, uh, women. Okay. And, and, and some males who have been trafficked. And she, she does counseling and works at the Covenant House of New Orleans. Um, so she has told her story many times. And I think she was not, she was not uncomfortable okay. sharing, sharing her story. Mm-hmm. Veronica, Veronica Jones, on the other hand, who uh, one of the warmest people I've ever met if in my life. If you get a hug from Veronica, it is like, I can't even describe how <laughs> awesome that is. I'm not a hugging guy, but she yeah. holds you, Bob. Right. It's like, she is awesome lady. And I think that's the first time she ever told her story. This was the first time her, her story has been told publicly. She's told it. I mean, she shared some of the details with her friends. Of course, she's married with yeah. her husband. Things but of like course, that. sitting in front of a camera. But, right. I mean, right. I can't even. And to hear what she went through and for her to just say what she said. Wow. Well, here's some sound from Veronica. My cousin boyfriend started messing with me when I would used to go play with her daughter at the age of, of, of eight and nine years old. And, and so I'd already been molested, so here we go again. So I'm, I'm used to being molested, so hey, he gave me $20, so guess what? And back then, that was a big thing, just to have $20, so what? My mom didn't, wasn't concerned about how I got meat and bread in the house. She wasn't concerned about that. But then I ended up having sex with him so often, I didn't even know I was pregnant until I was eight months pregnant. I'm still out there playing mud cakes, monkey bar, jumping rope. Whew, man, this, yeah. is, this is something. And to think about the innocence of someone being taken without them even knowing at the time that that's what's going on. Okay, she was eight when this guy started messing with her. Yeah. She was six when the first... Wow. The first time it happened. And it was typical. I have a kid that's five years old. Wow. I can't wrap my head around No, it. man. It's just like... And she doesn't She doesn't know what's, that's anything's wrong with that. Right, at that age, right. It's, it's a child. At, at first guy was someone who took her to church on Sundays. <laughs> And after church, he would take her to, her house, to his house. At five years old? Six years old. Six years old. Six years old. Wow. And she calls it molestation. Uh, and some of that is molestation. We had to get educated on this. Um, any sex act, any commercial sex act for, for anybody under the age of 21 is automatically considered sex trafficking. Right. So if you have sex with a six-year-old and give that six-year-old a candy bar, give that, can- give that six-year-old a fairy's crown, that's trafficking. Wow. And this guy would do this, and he would take her to the store and buy her some candy or buy her some jewelry or you know, something like that. So she starts to think that this is what I'm supposed to do. At six years old, she thinks this is how everybody lives. By the time she's eight, this is common for her. 
This is, this is I mean, nothing it, unusual. It just blows the sentence. By the time she's eight, eight-year-olds are playing with dolls, man. They, you know, they're, they're, they're running around being kids and, and to think like she's having to deal with something yeah. no person at that age or any age should have to deal with. Yeah. It's, uh, okay, so she's 11 years old. Yeah. And her mother drops her off at the hospital to have her baby by herself. Pregnant at 11 years old. But to me, who at the hospital, how do you let her go home? Right. Why aren't police officers there exactly. while you are helping exactly. this child? I just, uh, well, look, we're, we're, let's get Father Jeff on here. We've got uh, Father Jeff Bahi and Father Chuck Swanson, who are both in Rome right now. And it's early as we are here recording the podcast. And gentlemen, this started, as Rick was saying earlier, with a conversation with Jeff, uh, Father Jeff, uh, about this. Talk to me about that conversation and this horrific thing that's happening around our country. Well, you know, the, the first thing is is that no one really understands or realizes how severe and how local human trafficking is. One of the things that it's important to understand is today in 2023 in our kinder and gentler and woke, you know, mentality where everyone needs a safe place, we have more slaves worldwide in 2023 than we had in the 400 years of the legal African slave trade. Wow. And sadly enough, the United States consumes 10% of the world's slaves. And that means every year in this so-called enlightened United States, we have five million people being bought and sold every day in our country. And no one realizes it. And just a little personal note, when when I saw $88 billion donated to Black Lives Matters for people who seven generations ago may have had a slave in their family, and we have to bust our behinds every year to raise money to take care of the kids who are today's slaves, it makes no sense to me. And either people don't know, they don't care, or it, they, they, they want to look away. You know, it's kind of like, you know, looking at a gory movie. You, 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 you cover your eyes because you don't want to know what's about to happen. And in the meantime, right here in our midst, we, have, we will be in operation six years come February 1st of taking our first child. We've rescued 88 children, and of them, 80 of them have been Louisiana-born residents. Five of them have been from other uh, states around the U.S., and only three have come across the border. This mistaken notion that... The Sound of Freedom is, it's only happened in Nicaragua, Colombia, and Honduras, and that you have to be a trained special ops guy to make a difference is false. It's a wonderful story, and I'm not knocking what Tim Bauer did, but I'm telling you, that's not our story. 
our stories in Baton Rouge and Amid and in Ponchatoula and, you know, Gonzales and in Denver Springs. Ours are our own children. And Father Chuck can tell you about what percentage of them, are, are, are how, how it breaks down those that are being sold. Yeah, the, uh, the ones that are sold uh, are sold in, uh, in three different ways. Either they're labor traffic, sex traffic, or organ traffic. Now the number is in the organ traffic. I mean, the sex trafficking, 85% of them are sex trafficked. And uh, the other two make up the rest of the family. Um, the, the other thing that, that, that's very, uh, when I first learned about human trafficking, the thing that surprised me the most was this. 42% of those trafficked in the United States are trafficked by their primary caregiver. Their own family. Their wow. mother, their father, their mother's boyfriend, their uncle, the grandparents. So 45, 42% are, are trafficked that way in, or into the sex industry. Another 30% are runaways. And these runaways usually are running away from a very bad family situation, and maybe even a, an abusive situation. And most runaways are identified or contacted by a trafficker within the first 48 hours. And they're usually attracted by one who's already uh, part of the, uh, the, the, the pimps uh, group, and they tell them, oh, this guy treats us pretty well. You can come, you can stay here. You know, he, you know, he buys us clothes every once in a while. The food is good. Uh, and so, so they're, they're entrapped that way. And once they get entrapped, they can't get out. That's the problem. That's a big, big problem. Another thing that's very, very disturbing, and we, we hold a conference every year with a five school called the Mid-South Human Trafficking Summit. And um, we work with the former uh, congressman from Texas, uh, uh, Judge Ted Poe. And he was the Victims' Rights Caucus Chair, along with Jim Costa from California. And one of his statistics that I think is so upsetting is, is in the United States, we have more than 5,000 animal rescue shelters, everyone holding a hundred to a thousand animals and for the people the five million people who are sold in the united states we have less than 800 beds and uh, for the juveniles less than 250. That's and the market sounds terrible called a market but that's what it is the market in the united states 60 percent of the victims are under the age of 18. And of those juvenile victims, about one third of young boys now. That's the that's the fact that told me I can't put this down. When when Father Jeff told me we had two hundred beds for juveniles, juveniles victims of sexual yeah. trafficking in, in the country, and, I was shocked. And we have six. Yeah, we have sixteen of them right here. Yeah, in the Baton Rouge area, of course, we do not. We do not reveal our location any more than you would reveal the battered wife's shelter, you know, battered women's shelter, because 
we have to worry about the safety of our children and the wonderful religious sisters who care for them. There'd be a very big emergency happening if we started rescuing these people, these slaves, and they had no place to put them. Even even the girls that uh, the, the police would, uh, there is no, no uh, shelter for them for trafficking, they put them into a group home uh, shelter. What happens is the girls go there, uh, they take a bath, take a shower, get some clean clothes, eat a couple of meals, and they run back to their gym. Because if they're trafficked, there's so many other needs that they that, that have to be, because they've been traumatized so much that uh, they don't fit into that, and they recognize they don't fit into, into the group home, and off they go. So the shelters that we offer, because of the trauma these children face, and think about it, you know, you've been forced eight, 10, sometimes 12 times a day to commit a commercial sex act so that your parents can keep buying drugs or whatever the case may be. And that type of trauma is different from a defiant adolescent, different from maybe an addicted adolescent. And so to have a trafficking-specific shelter to deal with the, with the needs are very, very important for our children. Yeah, even different if it's, a, uh, it's an abusive situation. So it's very, very different. If they have, uh, it's apples and oranges, really. So let me, and, l- let and me and ask... Since uh, you're on the podcast, we're going to let you talk. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I'm, I'm here every show. You guys are here, and this, this is about what, what you're talking about. So this begs the question. We have legislative sessions every year, sometimes special sessions. We have city council meetings, uh, you know, once, twice a month, every every month for a year. There are news conferences, press conferences about everything from potholes to fence heights in our city. But you never really hear people talk about this. Why? It's hard to talk well, you, about. You, you know. You know what's interesting? Go ahead, Father. Is, is that uh, Governor John Bell Edwards and his wife Donna have tried to bring it to the forefront. He, he appointed an office with a trafficking Pacific uh, director, Dr. Dana Hunter. Mm-hmm. And the First Lady mobilized all the first spouses throughout the country these video conferences and you know and, and this is something that really bothers me when when the movie the sound of freedom was released and angel studios sent it to me in advance i saw it back in may it's a compelling story but when it was actually released first of all they tried to keep it from being released it's not on the shelf for four years why then when it was actually released you had the liberal media, you had Hollywood, you had a lot of people, and, and, and don't answer what the hell QAnon is, because I don't think I, I know what to do. But they, they, were, they were bashing the movie, they were bashing Jim Caviezel and everything like that. I don't care what you think about Jim Caviezel or, or Tim Ballard. Yeah. I care whether or not it makes a difference 
that our children are being bought and sold and no one cares. And, you know, and, and in my own mind, and this is just, you know, where I'm coming from, the fact that they wanted to dash and, and discredit someone who's rescuing children, and yet we don't know who, Je- who was on Jeffrey Epstein's uh, plane to Pedophile Island, you know, all the many trips. Yeah. Yeah. Who, are they, who are they covering for? I was going to ask you I, I, that. I hate to say that. No, well, Father Jeff, but, I was going to ask you that because that's been there, the discussion about that, about either one percenters or people on the inside of politics who have these proclivities and who are rumored, quote unquote, to be involved in this. People wonder, is that a reason why there isn't a discussion about this? Because this is one of the most egregious things a human can do to another human. I think it can be. But but from from a media standpoint, from a media standpoint, I I can tell you the struggle that we had trying to tell this story uh from a from a news from a news standpoint hang hang on one second further from a news standpoint we it's a difficult story to tell people aren't going to sit and listen to facts they aren't going to listen to numbers they aren't going to listen to statistics um they're not going to listen to a talking head to reach people the way you need to reach them to make them understand this story is through a victim's story, through a survivor's story. And those survivors are oftentimes so damaged, so scared that they don't want to share, so embarrassed, they don't want to share those stories publicly. And I can completely understand that. And so from a news standpoint, from a local reporter, standpoint that's what's so hard to tell this story yeah it unless you have somebody that's going to tell you what they've been through to make it compelling people aren't going to pay attention to it and, and that's what visual, i think that's what i think we did in this documentary we're a visual medium too yeah and you can't see this right if people can't see it and identify with it it's okay whatever but when you see a body bag on tv with a murder yeah. or a drunk driver killed somebody that gets people attention you can't really show this like that yeah. you know and we tried our best to you know get the point across that this is evil this is uh this is some more sound from sherry from the documentary what is life like when all this is happening okay like hell you know you're raped every time it happens um and i just don't i guess i i guess i give it to god as far as the strength that it took to like act like this was something okay with me you know be in that survival mode just so i could eventually get away from this this guy So, Father Jeff, I have to ask you, as as someone who obviously tends to the well-being of of your parishioners and and the community as a whole, if you had the opportunity to speak to the powers that be about this, and I mean it from the highest levels, what would your advice to both you and Father Chuck, what would your advice be to them about the urgency of, of addressing this now? All right, well, Clay, let me, let me, let me just say, as Catholics, if, 
I'm, I'm sorry. You ready for me? Yes, 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 please. Go ahead. Okay. You know, like, we're, 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 we're Catholic Greeks, and we feel great shame for what has happened when some priests have acted badly. Okay? Now, the reality is, is every priest has acted badly, and I don't excuse their actions for one moment. Every one of them has been front-page news and front-page front media, and they should have been if they did what they're accused of. I have no problem with that. I want to know why do we put the pedophiles and the rapists in the back section of the classified ads in our own newspaper? And that's where we do that. I want to know why the media doesn't cover someone who's been arrested for sex with a 13-year-old. Mm. Why don't we do that? Why, why, why hadn't the media done that? And that reality, you know, I mean, if we've got them in the back section of the classified uh, section, these people ought to be on billboards. We ought to know that people are damaging our children. And, you know, and, I've, and I've, I've, I've been in the governor's office, I've been to the White House, worked with legislators. Former Senator Ronnie John has authored more legislation than any other uh, legislator in the United States. And we have great laws. But let me tell you how that works. We had a situation in Homa where someone in the Terrebonne Parks and Recreation Program who was coaching 12-year-old little girls basketball went online, trafficked someone from the Gulf Coast, got the little 15-year-old girl there, and, of course, took advantage of her, started selling her. After a couple of weeks, the little girl got a phone and called her mama. She was rescued. The man was arrested. The judge set a $15,000 bond. Wow. He had that much cash on him. Two weeks later, he's back in the gym because he's innocent to, to proven guilty. And so there are so many layers of this, whether it's legislative, judicially, DAs, CACs, Children's Hospital, all the everyone's scared. Everyone's scared. But why? Why Why I, would people it, be it, afraid? It, what, what is there to be afraid I, of as it relates to people stopping people from harming children? Well, you know how, how litigious our, our society is. And the minute you say something, you're going to get sued and you're going to get harassed. And it's going to cost you a great deal of money to defend yourself. And no one wants to get involved. We, I mean, we, we, uh, in case you don't know, our legal system is broken. A little bit. It's absolutely broken. And, and justice is a concept. Not a reality more often than not. And people are scared to engage in the fight because they can't afford to do that. I want to throw a number it, at it, It's awful. Right. In, in the meantime, the, the, the children are victims. Yeah. And they go unheard. I want, to, I want to throw a couple numbers That's, at you, Clay, because we talk about this as a, as a them problem. Yeah. As a it's not in my backyard problem. In Louisiana last year, right. in Louisiana last year, 992 victims of sexual trafficking in our state. Those are the ones we know about. Those are the ones who called the hotline, 
who were treated at an emergency room for something and a nurse or a doctor suspected something and started an investigation, police got involved, were rescued. It's people who DCFS did an investigation, found trafficked. Um, those do not include the ones we don't know about. Of those 992 victims, 600, 600 plus were younger than 18 years old. Wow. The average age uh, somebody enters sex trafficking is about 13. 13 years 13. old. Some, two of the victims last year were as young as two years old. That's why it's important for folks to know about. These are the people that we know about. These are the people that, you know, through law enforcement, through social services, we found. There are so many folks out there that are being trafficked by family members, by boyfriends, by other predators in our cities that we don't know about. This is happening, you think about it, 13 years old. This is happening in our schools. Predators have gotten smart. Pimps have gotten smart. They know that if these kids aren't in school, it raises a red flag. School boards start to investigate. That brings the police, and they get found. So they send these girls to school. They send these boys to school during the day and pimp them out at night. They are in schools next to our children, and they are recruiting other children in schools. I just did. Now, let what he just said process. A child who has been abused and has suffered trauma is sitting next to a child who has no concept of that reality and the one child is recruiting another child this is one of the most cancerous things you could ever imagine you think they're maybe hiding in the closet that they're not in public they're with us everywhere we go there's we walk out here today there's kid could be trafficked we wouldn't know it yeah and they're in high schools father jeff what about healing father chuck as well what about well, healing let me, let me tell you one thing real quick about seven years ago, we arrested a high school senior at a North Shore high school who was pimping out two freshman girls. He got her to send the picture. Once he got the pictures, he owned them. He was making $1,000 a week going to high school, pimping out two freshman girls. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. What kind of family raises a 17-year-old that thinks they can sell two of their, their classmates? What has happened to family life and marriage instability in the home that allows for this type of sickness to enter into a child's mind to coerce young girls into the, you know, the, the, the photo and then think he, he can own two kids in his high school. For God's sakes, how sick, sick are we? And see, the reality is, you know, you, you'll have fifth grade kids. One of them wants to be a Spider-Man when he grows up, and the other one 
is already re- recruiting other kids with sexual acts because of their experience. We had that in the shelter. One of our girls who was older was trying to recruit some of the younger girls. You know, and the the, the idea that, that we don't want to know it. Yeah. And the idea that we, we don't bring it into the school system. The idea that we don't bring it into ERs. The idea that our judges are blaming the DAs and our DAs are blaming the judges for lack of prosecution. Between Canada and Brazil last year, now we had 992 cases in Louisiana. Between Canada and Brazil, because we work with the former commissioner from Scotland Yard, Mm -hmm. there were 239 convictions. What's wrong? Everybody needs to hear this. Yeah. One of the things that we ran across. You know, and, um, Go ahead, Father Chuck. That's just chapter one. <laughs> the government tells us that there have been 85,000 unaccompanied children brought across our border last year. And they don't know where they are. They have no idea where they are. And the coyotes and the pimps mm-hmm. are, the, are the ones that have them. And chapter two is going to be when these young people are uncovered and begin to learn, you know, to be able to call 911. They don't know that coming across the border. They're afraid of the police. Right. They don't know the language. And they're threatened. Not only are they threatened, but their families are threatened. And so chapter two is coming. And we, we, we're not even ready for chapter one. One of the things we found through all our through the through the interviews we did and the, and the people we talked to about this is the reason prosecution is so hard on this uh, is that a lot of these girls don't and, and I say girls because it's predominantly female trap uh, females who are sex trafficked but right now thirty plus percent are boys um, but so many of these victims don't realize that they're a victim mm-hmm. they are brainwashed to the point that they think this is normal, that they think they chose to do this, that they think this was them making that decision to do that, and so they don't testify. And without somebody like that to testify, it makes the job very difficult for a district attorney unless you catch someone in the act to prosecute. So okay. so it's... Okay, Lucy, let me... So it's a... So, let, me, uh, let me explain you. Please. You know, our firstborn... First girl we, we took in, she was rescued by the FBI. We went to court on four different times within a year to face her trafficker. When a 16-year-old kid's got to face a guy who beat the hell out of her and sold her, yeah. for two days, she doesn't sleep, she has diarrhea, she throws up everything she has. We get to court, my brother's her attorney, we went to court four times and never got past the motion hearing. Never got past the motion hearing. So nothing gets done. She ages out and says, I'm locked up in a shelter, and this guy's walking free. They don't care what happens to me. Yeah. That's why I'm saying yeah. when we look at this picture, 
We need judiciary, DAs, legislators. We need everyone committed to making these people pay the price. And we're not there yet. We're a long way from there. That's why we put this summit together, which, by the way, the next one will be January 22nd and 23rd in 2024 at La and Lake Charles, Louisiana. Well, I know, Father Jeff, that, that y'all had a, a hard stop uh, as we record this morning for for something else. I want to give you a chance to offer any final thoughts you have before you and Father Chuck have to get off to your next thing. Final thoughts is we've got to do something about it. We have to recognize it. We have to own it. And we have to have to help these children that are being trafficked. They're children. Children. My final thoughts are you guys did a wonderful job with souls in the South. It doesn't need to run just one night. <laughs> it needs to run continuously. It needs to be shared with your sister stations throughout the state. And we need to raise awareness. My idea is go to the households of faith go to priests, go to ministers, go to rabbis, go to imams, and let this come to the pulpit and let the household of faith be outraged and step forward to rescue these children. We're, you know, we're gone 90 nothing, but we're two old men. We need the next generation to stand up to protect those who don't have a voice of their own. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate y'all joining the podcast. We're going to do a follow-up next week after the documentary has aired. And if if y'all are back, we'd love for you to participate in that as well. Give me, give me a day and a time, and we will either do it from here, there, or wherever. All right. We, we'll, uh, Rick will follow up with you in a sidebar about that. Thank you, Father Chuck. Thank you, Father Jeff. God bless. Bye, bye. 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 So the passion coming off <laughs> Father Jeff is, I mean, you know, he's passionate, yes. but that was next level. That, that when you talk to him about this, you, you can see why I could not put this down. I could not turn my back on what I was hearing, what I was seeing. And I felt like it was our duty. And, and again, kudos to to my management staff uh, and, and the administration over at uh, Channel 9 because, because this is the kind of story that takes a year to do. It's the kind of thing that takes a lot of resources yeah. and pulls those resources out of covering day-to-day news. And, and for them to, uh, to green like this was, was So let's perfect. talk a little bit about that to give a few flowers to the folks over there. You typically, both of you are going out working in a day putting together a package that might be three minutes right because they the the news media only has so much real estate for information in a newscast uh and then for them to give you the time and you said nearly a year for a year we've worked on this worked on this and then giving you 30 minutes 30 minutes 30 minutes to tell this story that's kind of unheard of yeah and we're both photogs which we never work together we work with reporters <laughs> so for us to take two of us off the street right. at certain times yeah. is really a lot it says a lot to joe scortino and uh rob hayes yeah 
Yeah. Know. Yeah. Well, no, I, I didn't agree to say anything nice about Rob Hayes on this show. No, I'm just kidding, Rob. You so, don't know, Will. <laughs> that's, that's right. So let's talk a little bit about information that you want to make certain people have as we move into right. the fourth quarter of this, this conversation. Um, one of the things that uh, Monica Taylor told us, she works with the attorney general's office. She trains police officers on how to spot trafficking, mm-hmm. how to question suspected traffickers, how to try to talk with uh, people who may have been trafficked. Uh, one of the things she told us that really struck me, and, and Darren, you can back me up on this, is that in the past, we always used to think of trafficking as something outside. Mm-hmm as it's a predator outside who's going to take you and traffic you. You're going to be kidnapped and taken somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It's in the house. <laughs> it's parents. That's incredible. Not That's only, what blew us away, yeah, really. That, not, not only that, but it, you may be a good parent. Yeah. Okay? It's still in your house. If, if your child has access to the Internet, uh, your child is a potential victim. Yeah. It's in Snapchat. Yeah. It's in Instagram. It's in TikTok. It's in all these social media platforms. Where predators are hunting for kids. Right. In video games. Video games. Uh, these the these the multiplayer yeah, they platforms. Do the games. Right. It's so difficult to police that. I mean, exactly. that didn't exist when I was a kid. No. So it, now it's, and, and thankfully, knock on wood, all my, all my kids are grown, but it's like that's... It's almost impossible unless you don't have computers in your house or you don't give them cell phones. There's no way to to be 100% sure it won't happen. I think if you're a single mom, you're working right. full time, you're right. cooking, you're doing homework, you can't police that it's all impossible. the time. Yeah. And you're getting it from everywhere. But I got to ask you all again, I hate to, to go back over this again. We talked about it and Father Jeff brought it up. It does, his point about it seeming like the system doesn't care about this. I mean, it kind of seems like there I, isn't a, not, I, a lot of attention on I it. I don't think the system doesn't care about it. I think the system doesn't know about it. Well, how's that possible? Because we don't talk about it. Okay. It's ugly. Yeah. It's not something we talk about over the dinner table. Yeah. It's not something we talk about over the water cooler. And you can't see it. It's not, right. so it's not something we talk about in polite conversation. Yeah. So where does it come up? <laughs> We hope this documentary starts that conversation. Um, Two years ago, the governor's office, uh, through some legislation, created the Office of Human Trafficking Prevention. Mm -hmm. Dr. Donna Hunter is the head of that. And the first year, they were doing a lot of uh, information gathering. Where are the resources? What do we have? What do we need? What do people need to know? In the last year or so, they have been out training and trying to raise awareness and marshal those resources into every corner of the state. And that's where the state is right now in this. Yeah, Uh, There's been some legislation that's made some changes. In the past, D.C., if if I suspected my neighbor's child Mm -hmm. was being trafficked, and I called DCFS and said, I think my neighbor's child is being trafficked, DCFS can say, okay, we'll look into it. If DCFS, if they start looking into it and it's not a parent, it's not a member of that family because DCFS is Child and Family Services, DCFS couldn't go any further. They could call police, but yeah. but they couldn't they couldn't initiate an, a, a real thorough investigation because it's household not a parent because it wasn't a family member. That law changed. I want to say a year ago, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Okay, but that law changed now. If it involves a child, 
they can launch an investigation. Period. Period. And bring the police in and things like that. So, so we're get, we're starting. Man. We're starting in to move in the right direction. It's just about raising awareness. What have we left out here? Right. Well, Greg Mayweather and I were in Oxford, Alabama, on a completely unrelated story, and just we were in the middle of doing this. So I asked the cop. We were riding along with a police officer about how, what's human trafficking. He says, "Well, you know what? We we pulled a couple over like a month before, and there was a girl in the back, and something was fishy, and they really didn't even kind of know her name, and it comes to find out." The mother of that little girl sold her to those people. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's not in the big cities. And that's place. not yeah. an isolated it's not, incident. It's not that's just Oxford, in the big Alabama. cities. So let's tell the story of the 11-year-old. Now, you're going to see this in the documentary, right. so I don't want you to give all of the details away, but because it's it's mind-blowing. Miss Veronica is, is an amazing woman. Veronica Jones, um, again... This is the first time she shared this story publicly. Um, she's trafficked from the time she's six years old. Um, she has four children before she turns 17. Four. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, wait. <laughs> she's, she, she started being trafficked when she was eight. No, six. 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 Six years old. Right. And she had how many children before she was how old? Four children before she was 17. Yeah. Um, imagine what that does to you. I cannot imagine. Her first, one of the things she told us, I don't think it made it into the documentary. Uh, there's so much stuff we had to leave out. Um, her first child, her son. Yeah. Uh, they went to school on the same bus. Wait, wait a minute. They went to school on the same bus. She and her first child went to school on the same bus. Yeah. Brother, how the hell does this happen in society? And how raise red flags right. all over the, the place? Okay, you think, okay. This, oh, it's even worse. I don't, I, he could tell the story about the day she gave birth, but I'd rather you watch it in the documentary. The, the okay, think about this, Clay. Miss Veronica is in her 50s. Yeah. Okay. So this didn't happen in the 1950s. That's right. When, when 30-year-old men sure. were, wearing, were marrying 14-year-old girls. Sure. sure. This happened in the 1980s. And it didn't raise a red flag. Not a nurse, not a doctor, not a social worker at the hospital. There's no record of any of them. Saying there's something wrong with this. I'm telling y'all, again, I don't want to step on the documentary by giving that part of it away, but I can guarantee you this. When you hear how it played out, you are going to be asking yourself, how does that happen? Darren referenced it earlier, but you're going to see what we were talking about. It's like, how does that happen? And, you know, the other thing is what you want people to be left with when this is over. Like Father Jeff talked about this not just running one night and this needing to be a wider conversation. What do y'all want people to have as a takeaway when they see this doc? Just an understanding of what's really going on. We hope we convey that through those victims, which we think that's that's the big deal here. You can listen to, like you said earlier, stats and numbers and it'll go over people's heads or whatever. But when you see... Veronica and Sherry share their stories. We hope that has an impact. And like 
something's got to be done. You know, I have to say this to both of you. First, ask a question before I say this. I know how good, and I don't mean good about the the subject matter, but how good you guys have to feel about doing something that I, I believe you know is going to contribute to at minimum people's knowledge about this heinous thing, but at maximum maybe gives a victim the impetus to either speak up or maybe get out of a tough situation. Well, I, when, after that interview, I know Rick, we all went to hug her. Yeah. We had to, we had to. And then, and I'm like, I hope this helped you. Right. She says, you have no idea how much this helped me. Wow. That right there was was like big time. That was, that was it. If we could just help Veronica get through this, because she's still going through it. Right. She's not. She's still processing what's going on at fifty. Yeah, well, she hadn't talked about it, and that's the first time. So this yeah. is. You said that earlier, and I was like, "This is the first time that she's yes. talked about it." She had. She's. She says in the documentary that she never really feels like she got out of human trafficking, of sex trafficking, until a few months ago when she started meeting people like her mm. and started to right. be able to talk to them. And started to be able to understand. She's still processing all of this. 50 years, Clay. Wow. She's processing 50 years. Listen, so, you know, my, my watch it live, DVR it. Sunday night as we record this today. Let's give them the, the when and where one more time. It's a Sunday night, 1030, uh, December 3rd uh, on WAFB. Um, it's airing that late because it's a really... It's a really difficult subject. Yeah, talk about that. I, we, we did a little video kind of promoting our conversation today, and you and I said that when I met with you in your conference room about why this is running at 10 o'clock as opposed to 6 o'clock or 6.30. Uh, well, that first piece of audio you played is yeah. the reason. Yeah. Um, Darren, Darren was the one that brought it up that said, I, we can't do this at yeah, this time. I played it to uh, our sales manager. I'm like, you know, they're trying to, you know... Uh, and I'm like, I, I don't, because I have kids, yeah. and we had to use some kids that we knew in some of the video, and I don't want them watching it, yeah, because it's, it's too deep. It's heavy. Yeah. It is a reality that you want to shield kids from. This is different than talking to kids about strangers in society and not getting into a stranger's car and you know things that you teach them in their teens about sex or whatever. This is something you don't want them to have a reality. Clay, about. we call strangers and tell them to ask us to ask us ask them to put us in their car and take us somewhere. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. We do that now. Yeah. Uber and it, well, you know, you know, that's the that's the thing is. We've got to come up with a new set of rules. Yeah. We've got to come up with a new way to teach our kids about this. But they're in our house through the internet. Yeah. That's the thing that makes it impossible. It's already in your house. It's there. Social media and everything. And, well, I I cannot wait to watch this. And I I didn't want to see too much of it because I wanted this conversation to be really authentic and to hear some of what I've heard. And I said it earlier, haven't heard Father Jeff that fired up in a little while, man. He's passionate. We're going to do a follow-up after you all see the documentary next week. That potentially could be something we do live. You'll get the details on social media. But again, tell people where they can find you both on social. Oh, if you dare, Jesus. yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I, you, can, you can, you can look, you can look for Rick Portier. Put him in the Google you machine. You want to see pictures of my kids? But that, that's that's, it. that's how I put. So no, no, you guys are boring on social media like <laughs> me, and that's how I like that. You can Rick Portier, uh, Rick Portier WAFB, yeah. uh, on Facebook. You can yeah. find me. That's about the only place yeah. that you can find me. Um, 
you, you say you want to, you, people need to see this, they need to DVR it. Yeah. The station is in the process of creating a, a, a webpage yeah. that'll host the documentary. Yep. It'll host some pullout stories yeah. with more details that we couldn't add into the documentary just for time uh, uh, purposes. And we're also creating a, a four to five episode podcast yeah. that, that'll go between the four episodes, probably about an hour, hour, yeah. 10 minutes. Um, to just really, really spill everything that we've learned about this in the last year. I mean, it feels like we just sat down, but we're an hour into this conversation <laughs> right now and, and just barely scratched the surface. And so I'm looking forward to it. Man, great job, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. All right, y'all. Y'all check out the documentary this Sunday at 10 o'clock. 10.30. 10.30 on WAFB Channel 9. You can set your DVR if you're going to be out, but it's something that I think every one of us needs to struggle through and watch. I already know it's going to be tough to get through, but um, but it, it's, it's information I think we need. So thank you all so much. Thank you, Clay. Thank you, Clay. So there you have it. Episode 288 returns with a, an amazing topic that I think most of you are going to learn a lot about. I mean, I've learned a lot about this in talking to Rick and Darren. And obviously, you know, sex trafficking exists, but some of the details behind it are just absolutely mind-blowing a special thanks to father jeff Bahi and father chuck swanson who participated in our conversation from rome italy talk about getting up early to talk about something that matters so we appreciate y'all keep up with the show set your alert for it uh, go into the apple podcast app and hit the notification bar so you'll see and hear when we get a new episode loaded up. One next week is going to deal with the aftermath of the documentary that's running this weekend. We're going to have a conversation with even more people, and then you'll have a chance to give you give your feedback rather in real time. So we will see you next week. Your voice matters. Visit the Clay Young Show at podcast225.com and email the Clay Young Show at clay at podcast225.com.